This is Erica in Edmonton, Shannon in Durham, and Chip in Durham. Welcome to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 80, No Surrender, No Retreat. Our big 80th episode spectacular, huh? <laughs> it's nice round numbers. I feel like, you know, an 8 and a 0. It's exciting. <laughs> it's really exciting. I like 8s. Yep. And as always, thank you guys for kind, kindly for joining us as we continue with the fourth year of Babylon 5's five-year run. And for the second time in this season alone, I feel like the proverbial poo seems to be parading directly toward the proverbial fan. Am I alone in that? I don't know. I mean, this was a big episode, a big episode, but I didn't come away from it feeling like, um, oh, God, everything, it, this is going to be bad. This is going to be bad. This felt almost mm-hmm. like a triumphant episode to me. Oh, yeah. Like, I, did, I didn't mean in, in a, in a oh, crap, <laughs> pun intended sort of way. Uh, I just meant that the, the, the poo is just action. Like, things Stuff's are, going down. are happening. Yes, exactly. Yeah, stuff's going down. Uh, Yeah, I'm not, I I think JMS was very careful to try and show um, maybe, no, not too hard for me, but other people might think so, that this was not, you know, a victory yet, that, you know, the the plan has begun, the plan has succeeded so far, but he was not about to let us forget that this is the Babylon 5 command staff engaging in civil war and and firing mm-hmm. on you know on their own people <laughs> yeah it was it was hammered home and we will we will talk about how how well we feel like it uh like the story did with that mm-hmm. so mm. why don't we just uh, barrel right ahead and get into it um your quick little catch up uh what you need to know going into this episode Babylon 5 has been cut off from Earth for some time, and they maintained a a strained detente until President Clark's forces started firing on and killing thousands of innocent civilians. Uh, In another part of the galaxy, the Narn and the Centauri had warred with each other for well over 100 years until the Centauri finally left Narn thanks to the plotting of Centauri Ambassador Malari and the torture of former Narn Ambassador Jakar. Uh, Also, former Chief Michael Garibaldi gets offered a job on Mars. And that brings us to No Surrender, No Retreat, in which Sheridan's forces face Earth Force cruisers head-on in an attempt to free Proxima 3, and they achieve their mission objective, which isn't the same as victory. Lando Molari tries to convince Jakar to have a drink with him and issue a joint declaration in favor of Sheridan's actions. At first, Jakar declines, but eventually he agrees, as long as he can sign on a different page. Uh, Also, uh, Garibaldi goes to Mars, and apparently he's not coming back. So... That is that is where we are, but I just I want to start with the Civil War stuff because that seems to be that seems to be the the biggest bit going on. Shannon, like you said, it's uh, it, they're they're sort of hammering it home that this is this is not a, an action that they are taking lightly. How do you feel like that was handled? Do you feel like it was it was handled well, or you know, too too hammer thump, or were they shown as as the good guys too much? Where where do you fall on that? I think ultimately it worked for me that. You know, there, there are some people watching this who would probably be, be like, we get it, we get it already, yes, we know. And then there's other viewers that, you know, have come into the show more recently, have not seen earlier seasons, or are just the kind of people who would 
nibble to death like ducks or something. Um, the fact that if JMS didn't make it absolutely clear that Sheridan has looked at this from every single angle and is walking a tightrope so thin it is like um, a strand of hair um, as he works to, to free the earth. So ultimately, I'm okay with it, but um, it's... I guess it's fair enough to say that JMS was making it the theme of the episode, you know, making these decisions and following these actions. Mm -hmm. Um, And ultimately, I was okay with it. I actually really liked it. There there are some aspects of it that are just notoriously unsubtle. Um, you've mm-hmm. got to have you've got to have a buddy on the other side that you know by a nickname and things like that, <laughs> um, and that's that just is what it is. But we were talking about a story thread where Sheridan is committing himself to ridding the Earth of President Clark. And it strains credibility to think that you can accomplish that all by yourself as an inv- as sort of just an in- invading power. You're going to have to collect allies o- along the way. And I think this episode does a really good job of sort of laying out how that might happen. Um, you know, there have been hints here and there that there are different folks in Earth Force who aren't happy with what's going on, right all the way from Severed Dreams on. Um, So you've got to give those characters room to join you, otherwise the story is going to be Sheridan and the White Star Fleet proceeding all the way to Earth all by their lonesomes, and I don't think that that would be credible or believable. I do like all of the strategizing that goes into this episode. This is one of the episodes that makes me feel the most like Sheridan is a real military commander as opposed to a a space opera idea of what a military commander is. You know, he's trying to, he's taking definitive steps to try to find out who's going to be on his side. He's uh, arranging his forces in a way that forces a confrontation to go in a certain way to give him the opportunity to uh, pick off some allies, things like that. Um, I, I think that it's I think that it's really done well up till we get to the inevitable, my God, the crew get to the life pods moment. <laughs> Uh, I I also like the fact that Sheridan um, basically says to all of the other races, "Stay out of it." That was, oh, yeah, that was a, that, a very nice touch and it's, a very important one. It's a um, nice it, touch. It's an important one. It's part of JMS's. Our good guys have got to be really, really good, and we've got to take out as much um, morally gray in our people as possible because he he knows the problem that you'd have if the Minbari and the Narn sort of flew in alongside. He knows. You mean J- you mean the Centauri? Because the Minbari do fly in. <laughs> All those white stars. Well, okay. Technically. Technically, that's a, that's a, that's a technicality. I get your point, yes. but if it was a Minbari war cruiser that had participated right, right. in the Battle of the Line. Um, you know, if if all those folks had fl- would fly in, there would be consequences to that in universe, and a decent writer would have to explain how the how Earth would react to that sort of thing. JMS is JMS is making it a clean fight, both for the uh, hero's sake and also for his own sake, so he can uh, tell a more credible 
story, at least a more credible plot. But in the end, in in the end, that does leave us with some corny get to the live pods. Um, our heroes are so so good kinds of moments. Well, I, I was okay with that because I mean, it, it, to me, that is more not just not a statement about all of our heroes are good in general, but just like Sheridan's personal outlook. You know, he is looking to minimize casualties in any conflict, and, and that that has been shown, um, you know, from, from the time that he first got there. He is always looking to save lives rather than throw them away. So, you know, the fact that it's a recurring thing for me now, for Sheridan now, I'm okay with that. It does help offset the fact that he is being a very much hard-bitten, uh, realistic, pragmatic military commander here. And he is telling folks, you know, you are going to take on our, our our friends. We have chosen this. This isn't the way defending ourselves the way we did last year. This is, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is hard, but it is necessary, and we're going to do this thing. Um, I also like the way that he uh, deals with the League of Non-Aligned Worlds. You know, he he tells them. As of now, those treaties are null and void. You know, he's not even putting this up for debate. You know, he says, mm-hmm. tell your governments, this is what we're going to do. By nature, I am not the sort of person um, in my work life or in my personal life to want to tell people what to do. I'm always sort of mealy-mouthed or, you know, what do you want? Let's dialogue about this and let's figure out something. Uh, Sheridan has no time for that. Sheridan <laughs> is... Right. Sheridan is a military governor, and he is a uh, captain, and, you know, there is something that needs to be done, and he's not he's not going to waste time on debate. He is ramming this through, and that's interesting to watch. I admit that that gave me pause just a little bit. Um, it's sort of, you know, we'll get to talking about Garibaldi a little bit later, but his he keeps talking about how Sheridan has sort of become this messiah-type figure. You know, he's... Uh, the one man who's sort of dragging everybody else along. And I had one of those those sort of Garibaldi view moments where I was like, wow, he just stood up there and declared a whole bunch of treaties with his home world, null and void. Like that was, that's a really big move. But then I, I felt fine about it about a minute and a half later when Jakar speaks up and explains right. why he supports it. Because, yeah, that's actually a good point. Yes, they have these treaties, but all of these worlds were just under attack by a terrible, terrible force. And Earth did absolutely nothing. So it's I felt a little better about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I think that's the reason that that's the whole reason that, you know, Jakar stood up. Uh, JMS had to have a moment like that to balance what Sheridan was doing to show that, you know, yes, this is the right thing. Here's the background. This is why, this is why we need to make this decision. That was definitely important. This is monumental stuff. We talked last time about sort of how accelerated uh, the previous episode was when it came to the, you know, the taking out civilian transports. All right, that's it. We're, we're, we're going to war now kind of thing. It felt a little forced last time. Nothing really feels forced to me in this episode. It's 45 minutes of actions and consequences and strategizing, and nothing nothing feels bolted on to me. I agree with I, that. I, I actually mm-hmm. put that in my notes, that this felt like one of the most sort of cohesive episodes as far as here is a plot point. We must tell the plot point. Here are some different angles for it. And it all worked 
very seamlessly for me. I think a little of it was bringing back a few characters that we haven't seen for a while. I mean, Veer's been gone for ages. Mm-hmm. Um, and we Marcus. get a lovely... Uh, Marcus is back. Um, mm-hmm. We haven't seen Jakar in a long time. We've seen Londo, I think, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. but not Jakar. So, and Corwin. You know, yeah, Corwin. Yes, we got to see <laughs> Corwin again. So, you know, having all of these pieces coming together as the um, machine starts up, Mm-hmm. Love it when a plan comes together. That that's that's my meat and potatoes. So. And Ivanova was Ivanova again. Yes, mm-hmm. with some great hair. Oh my god, some that like great fancy lines. bun. Yeah, Ooh. that was. Oh some, god, was I'd something. forgotten this was the episode of Trust Ivana. Tr- Trust Ivanova. Trust yourself. Anyone else? Shoot him. Yeah. <laughs> and she just delivers that line so well on her way mm-hmm. off the set, and the uh, other characters around her sort of like take note, but they don't have. They don't have the sort of wild takes that you sometimes get when she delivers the scary mm-hmm. killer Ivanova line. Uh, there's that one crewman near her as she walks off who sort of eyes widen grow and then and then the camera moves over to Corwin and he's like, Yep. Yes. I think I think <laughs> like, most of the time when she's delivering those types of lines, it's in a sort of lighter circumstances. In this case, there's this underlying tension that yeah, they might actually have to shoot some people that that they know even. So it it, it adds a little bit of gravity to their reactions into the situation. Mhm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, oh, Corwin, the way he's the, you know, it's been a long time since we've seen him and my god, he's grown. <laughs> yes. He's been through a lot. He, we haven't seen it, but clearly he has. He's, he's been through a lot in the background somewhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but uh, talking about it holding together, I, I agree. I felt like this this episode just, just rocked along. Um, I... I'm not exactly sure where I fall on sort of the the cheesiness of the the get to the life pods moment. I I like that Sheridan was thinking that. I felt like it that that feels right to me because that's the kind of character he is. But I think I can't escape the fact that saying it out loud does seem a little bit over the top. It's and, Captain Cornball. Yeah, and I mean, which which you know, Captain Cornball is kind of Sheridan's thing. So I, I don't have a giant problem with it. I think it's just one of those things where there's not really a good way in th- this show the way that it is done to get that across because it's not like there's a voiceover, uh, you know, in the mm-hmm. middles of episodes. Usually, it's just the beginning and the end if that happens. So I think it was important to establish how upset he was at this point and and his reaction. And while I do think Bruce Boxleitner is a good actor, and he probably could have gotten a lot of that across just with his face, I don't think that that's quite enough for the show the way that it has been put in front of us all these years. So I'm I am okay with it, but it was a moment where my my stomach did a little bit of a like a little bit of a cornball flip and the the other thing that i i I cannot quite uh get behind is the uh, sort of wild-eyed goofiness of the the fleet commander uh the captain of the heracles who is just sort of over the top villainous i mean i I feel like he should have had a mustache to twirl i I think that's the fault of you know this character has not been introduced to us before and we've got Mm -hmm. to establish immediately that he is like clark's man through and through and has totally drunk the Uh, Mm kool-aid you know and you needed at least one of the captains to be like that i mean you needed a diversity of action and attitude among these captains uh which i think Mm -hmm. was that was and see that's something that really appealed to me about this episode the fact that you know, JMS took the time, even if it wasn't enough time for like solid character development, mm-hmm. to still show, you know, the ones who 
um, have been trying their best to minimize civilian casualties and, you know, the, the ones that are trying to walk their own tight ropes uh, because they know that Clark's regime is has crossed lines and is continuing to cross them. You know, even to the actions of how witch captains retreat. And it's kind of cool mm-hmm. because um, JMS chose the names of the ships with that in mind. Because mm-hmm. you've got Nemesis and Fury that both side on, sign on with um, Sheridan first or, or show up by actions that they're on Sheridan's side. Those are both names that refer to vengeance. And, you know, Sheridan's is going to have to, you know, seek revenge on Clark. Um, and Vesta, uh, which is Mackie's ship, if I remember correctly, um, Vesta is the goddess of the home, you know, and he winds up coming around to defend home. So it's really cool that JMS takes the time to world build like that, even if there's not a lot of time for it. Oh, I totally, yeah. I totally appreciated the shades of gray amongst all of the different captains and the mm-hmm. ships and the, the, you know, determining which ships had purposely not fired on civilian targets. The bit that I didn't like, and maybe this was an acting choice, I'm not sure, was just the, the over-the-top performance of that character. I don't think any of his, the, the actions of that character, specifically as written, were over-the-top. It was just the way he seemed, mm-hmm. he played it really kind of bloodthirsty and a little bit um stereotypical old entrenched white guy i mean that was kind of what it what it came off as and i feel like if he would have downplayed that just a little bit it would have been kind of perfect for me so it may be just like a personal taste sort of yeah possibly yeah i mean he he was definitely chewing the scenery a bit and i don't think it's an accident that his second in command was a woman but yeah (laughs) Yeah. Um, I do think, though, that the position that he's in, um, acting choices or no, um, the position he's in is kind of interesting Mm -hmm. in that he's outmaneuvered right from the beginning by Sheridan uh, with the uh, White Star Fleet coming in on three three sides. And then so he's got to he's got to cope with each decision. Um, He's got to deal with recalcitrant uh, fellow captains and. In the end, when he's about to be relieved of command, he's, you know, he's thinking about, he, he tells his commander that, you know, she's not the one who's going to be brought up on charges when this is all over. It's him. It's his responsibility, you know, and, and he's sort of stuck on, he's sort of stuck on that. Uh, In a yeah. very uh, selfish way, though, because he says, you know, I'm going to be brought up on charges. I'm dead either way. So he's basically ignoring the rest of the hundreds, I don't know, thousands of people that are on his ship being like, okay, I'm going to yeah. die no matter what we do. So, so I might as well take all of these people along with me. Yeah, stick to my guns, you know, to the mm-hmm. end. You know, if nothing else, I stayed on the side I chose. Yeah, that's like you said, right. old, old but, white guy. Yeah. But that gives his uh, commander a chance to uh, be the voice of that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in, in other in other shows, in other sequences and things like that. You know, the the crew may be just sort of treated as anonymous cannon fodder by the script writer. So mm-hmm. I did appreciate to sort of the, the the mirroring or echoing they had going on between the two ships on Mackie's ship. You have the captain being relieved by the second in command because he's he's not being bloodthirsty enough in this case. Uh, and then the crew decides that that's not good enough. And on the other side, you have the second in command taking over um, and, and the mm-hmm. crew sort of being fine with it because it means they get to live. Yeah, JMS. It's a great line by Mackie in that one. Yeah, I always knew you wanted a promotion. <laughs> <laughs> and now I know how badly. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I also really like the um, idea of the 
the sort of captain's conference at the end mm-hmm. yes. where J- where Sheridan lays out multiple options for these captains to deal with the to deal with the new uh, reality all based on their comfort level with the morality of the actions that uh, Sheridan is taking you know and every every one of those options defensible uh, standing down defending uh, Proxima uh, becoming part of the fleet and the different captains make different decisions mm-hmm. and these decisions are true to who they are yeah you even see in their expressions around the table because of course we can't afford to have all of the captains have speaking parts <laughs> um y- you can tell that all of them are in different places about this thing mm-hmm that strikes me as as realistic. I feel like a, a lesser writer might have decided to have them all just enthusiastically yeah. sign on with Sheridan, maybe except for except for one or something like that. But this is this was very again shades of gray. I think that's that's something that Babylon Five has has done a nice job with over the years. You know, maybe except when it comes to our our big damn heroes, they don't get to have quite as many shades of gray. But the the side characters certainly certainly do, and that that shows up very clearly here. Plot-wise and, for the most part, dialogue-wise, I feel like JMS is at the top of his game in this episode. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, well, then let's let's turn to uh, not exactly a civil war, but uh, sort of an ongoing war just the same. We still have the, the Londo versus Jakar thing going on. And what, mm. and I will spoil a little tiny bit of the Stephen check-in uh, to say that at the end, Stephen just... just said that Vehar, of course, that was the first mm-hmm. thing he said, uh, Vehar does the best Londo and Jakar scenes. And then he did this sweeping, like, arm sweep, like, foom, across the room, like, bar none, bar none, he says. <laughs> so, yeah, very, very enthusiastic well, about that. It ain't all Vehar. It's also JMS, and it's also Andreas oh, Katsoulis, yeah. and it's also Peter Jurisic. This is phenomenal mm-hmm. stuff. Oh, phenomenal i remember the first time shannon you and i watched this way back in the day Mm -hmm. when jakar poured his drink back into Mm -hmm. his bottle and you were so unhappy you were so like oh (laughs) you 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 first time around that was my yeah i think that was my reaction because i was just like dude come on he's like Oh, he's metaphorically on his knees begging. I have to but admit the that the point is, I know, I know. the point is in that Londo hasn't earned it I yet guess. as much as Londo wants to. Yes. And that is the stuff that really, really excites me about uh, about these scenes uh, between Londo and Jakar. Londo wants redemption. Londo oh, wants God, to yes. turn around and do mm-hmm. the right thing. Um, you know, we we have we have never seen Londo not since not since early season one have we seen a Londo this noble mm-hmm. this this much a good guy we haven't seen that in so long mm-hmm. but the stain is still there what he did is still there uh, and. The genius of the scripting and the performance in all of this is that every time Londo talks about his sympathies or how hard a year has been, Jakar throws this back in his face, and it's not just Jakar being spiteful. Mm -hmm. At every turn, Jakar has suffered more. Mm -hmm. Narn has suffered more. Uh, 
you know, Londo has not only made poor decisions, Londo has been responsible for so many deaths. And, you know, sympathy is all well and good. And towards the end of this episode, Jakar is apparently in no more of a forgiving mood because he's not going to sign on the same page or anything. But in the end, Jakar doesn't give Londo anything Jakar accepts the wisdom of Londo's argument. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, earlier I was saying a a lesser writer might have done something different with the captains. I think here JMS sidesteps another another pitfall because I think a lesser writer may have had Jakar just, you know, put things aside and have that drink with him. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And I have to say that talking about Shannon's first time seeing it. I, you know how I forget things that happen in Babylon 5. You know, I've got the, 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 the giant, like, sweeping ideas in my head. I did not remember how that scene ended. I, I was on the edge of my seat just as much as I was the first time being like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Is he going to drink it? Is, are they going to, like, be friends now? I just, I, I honestly did not remember. Not what was, yet. <laughs> what was going on. So I... I had that moment as soon as he picked up the glass and I was like, oh, he's going to drink it. And then he started pouring it back in mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, but just, oh, my heart broke a little yeah. bit. Just a little but, bit. But Chip's right. I mean, it's, um, Jakar needed to do something like that to show Londo that any cooperation has to be earned, has to be on Jakar's terms. Any possible future forgiveness um, which, you know, doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Jakar is going to make Londo earn it. He can't just come in and make a speech and talk the talk. He's going to have to walk the walk. And that but hasn't what, happened yet. But what a speech he makes, though. I mean, after oh, yeah. after the episode, I was... Yeah, that's why I it was hurts just, so much. Yeah. I was boggling a little bit at just Peter Jurisic's performance and how he had to do so so much there were so many layers going on to his performance because he's still Lando and he's still you know walks in the room and is you know they jump right into their old their old banter battle banter I guess and <laughs> and and he's just got these all these layers of of grief and you know recognition of what he's done and you know he's he's admitting things and I was just like I just felt like Peter Jurisic just waltzed away with the scene and Steven was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, uh, all said- <laughs> Andreas Katsoulis has to do is look at him. Mm-hmm. I yeah. swear the reactions that mm-hmm. Katsoulis was getting through the Jakar makeup mm-hmm. just floored me every time. Every time they switched back to him and he gives another look and it's just like... Mm-hmm. That was and phenomenal. that is, and that is something that actually, and Stephen pointed out that that is a, a Vehar thing because mm-hmm. in the hands of of a different director, he might not have been able to get so much across. Because as Stephen pointed out, you get a lot of nice tight shots on mm-hmm. Jakar, which you don't always get in one on one scenes in Babylon Five. So you have you have sort of the Vehar touch moving in, so he's able to do that. He he doesn't have to to be over the top and you know sweeping and say things because he he mm-hmm. oh. It's just so so intense and personal and and yeah, it was it was great. Just great. All four people, Vehar, JMS, mm-hmm. Katsulis, Jurisic, they all know exactly what this scene is about. They are all on the same page. Mm-hmm. And that is it, it's it's magnificent. When Londo comes in, he is looking for absolution. 
he is wanting he's wanting to accomplish this thing because it's the right thing to do but he also wants you know he also wants Jakar to give him something that he hasn't earned um because he at this point he still wants to feel better about himself mm-hmm. and Jakar is not here for that oh no Oh no. And I was I was actually even a little bit surprised that Londo has faced up to his mistakes as much as he has. I think he's he's clearly done some some soul searching after everything that's happened because to say flat out I have made some very poor choices in the last 2 mm-hmm. years and and some of those choices really led to, you know, awful stuff. He he's 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 taken on responsibility for for the actual fallout from those decisions and and put that on his own shoulders and i think that's a a, a pretty impressive thing for a character of, to do so that was yep that was mm-hmm. very impressive very good progress jakar is there to remind londo mm-hmm. that that's nowhere near Not enough, enough. Not even close. And actually, I mean, when it's it's coming to characters uh, dealing with the consequences of their actions, I appreciated the one short scene that we got with Veer. Mm-hmm. The fact yes. that he wakes yes. up and say, you know, he's he's clearly dealing with guilt of his own. Oh uh, yeah. After what happened with the emperor, so just it didn't it it yeah. took very few words and it it got the point across so well. I mean, that is that is economy of storytelling right there that was great yeah you know just like get to the life pods i don't think we needed him to be dialogued as saying mm-hmm. thank the great maker it was only a dream afterward yes, i agree with you mm-hmm. um so that's the one weakness i think in jms's script here is that we do have those uh tell don't show moments mm-hmm. yep a couple of them we also have Garibaldi um, sort of telling and, and not showing, although there's, there's not a whole lot of opportunity for showing. He he really has to. But, the, you know, the line, I'm going to fight this my own way, did seem a little cheese ball to me. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's a man full of denial right now. Mm-hmm. You know, he's I'm going to fight this my own way. I don't think he even believes that when he says that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He just he just don't he just don't like Sheridan. He don't trust Sheridan anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh we yeah. So he's uh we only get we only get a couple of uh scenes with him, but uh, nice and foreboding there at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not coming back. Which is I mean it I think that would be a rough thing with any of the characters, but the fact that Garibaldi has been there, you know, the longest since mm-hmm. the very very beginning, it it packed a little extra emotional gut punch for me. Yeah. Wow. This is a this is a big deal. It really is. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I I would like to segue into the Stephen check in because sure. because this was this was a fun one to watch with him as as we started out. Um, in the cold open, he was like, "Hey, look at all these swooping cameras." And um, he was also very happy to see Corwin pop up. He actually remembered Corwin's name. I was super impressed. So that was <laughs> good job, Stephen. Um, and he did lean over and say, "My Vehar is pinging." Um, he he second guessed himself a little bit, but then then he was right and did like little finger guns at the screen or something. I don't remember. <laughs> um, he also wanted me to make a note that the title of this story actually appears in the episode. In, yes, in the dialogue. Pretty pretty quickly, he's like, "Write that down." It's like okay, isn't? Uh, uh, wait a minute. This is also the season title too. So it is. It makes it sense. Is, in fact, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. So he was he was pleased with that. Uh, later in the episode, he just blurted out so many tracking shots. I love tracking shots so much. So that's and that is sort of a, a hallmark of the Vehar editing style. You get lots of camera motion, camera fo- cameras following the characters kind of swooping. It feels it feels so dynamic in comparison to some episodes where it's sort of lock off the camera and let that let the actors do their thing. I feel like the actors are doing their thing and the cameras are doing their thing and it's it just creates this kind of harmony, which is wonderful. And as soon as the episode ended, Stephen started applauding. Just <laughs> I didn't ask anything. He just he applauded. He said that was really good. I like that one uh, without me even having to ask. Sometimes I have to prod him to see what he mm-hmm. thinks. Uh, of course, you know, I said, why? Why did you like it? And the first word he said was Vehar. Vehar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he really liked the camera stuff. And he said it was also like uh, a little bit like um, Babylon 5 does a kind of a submarine movie, which which he liked a lot. So so he just he mm-hmm. quite enjoyed this episode. And I, I think I'm on the same page with him. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree with what he was saying about uh, the directing the action. Um, I noted, you know, the pre credit sequence, you know, it it dialed the adrenaline up immediately. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, the constant movement across the screen, the constant movement of the cameras of uh, just, you know, showing that, you know, Sheridan has declared, OK, it's time we're going to take back Earth and things are in motion already. Um, I was like, you know, I was getting super hyped before um, b- before the opening sequence came on. And so military, so military. Mm-hmm. Again, they re- paid so much attention to make it feel real and right. Even the music, the the music mm-hmm. at the beginning, very martial yeah. sounding drums. Yeah. yeah, it it just it worked together. It was it was pretty great. Yeah, thumbs up for this episode. Any last uh, last things before we swoop into spoiler space? Just you know, another hat tip to you know diversity. Uh, again, all yes. of these different captains, different races, both sexes represented, um, all these different layers uh, that, you know, they throw in when they look to cast. Love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even a lot of the, like, the non-speaking parts when you're painting yeah. across all the Star Fury the fighters. soldiers, right. See, yep. Yeah, all of yeah, the pilots. Women and men of different races. And yes. um, uh, I can't remember which battleship bridge it was, but some of the non-speaking characters there, too, were also really diverse. You got, like, a black woman at one station. And right. it was, that was, that was really cool. Yeah. All right. Well, time to time to assign a homework, and that would be the exercise of vital powers is what we want you guys to watch for next time. I wonder if Stephen is going to have words about that title. It is distinctive. <laughs> it, it is. As a matter of fact, I I was trying to remember like where we were in the season and stuff. So I was I pulled up the episode list for season four, which usually I kind of try to hide from Stephen. But at this point, I realized that's dumb. So he even looked over my shoulder and he's like, I am not worried about spoilers from these episode titles. He read a couple of them off out loud. That wasn't one of them, but and just shook his head. He's just like, yeah, I'm not getting anything out of these. You don't have to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah the exercise of vital powers um it, watch that for next time and and we'll we'll see what that means because i gotta be honest once again i don't remember what happens in this next episode and as usual the title doesn't help so i'm excited to find out <laughs> And as always, we encourage you guys to come and visit us on social media. We are at B5 Audio Guide on Twitter and Tumblr. And of course, do visit our website, b5audioguide.com, where you will find some of the most fascinating and in-depth conversation about B5 around, especially in the spoilery threads, 
But if you are spoiler averse, we've got you covered in our spoiler free threads. And if that's you, please do pop off to Mars or somewhere because we are heading through a jump gate, not to battle our brethren near Proxima 3, but rather to banter spoilers in spoiler space. So after that nice long jump into spoiler space, I have to admit that I was watching that entire thing between Londo and Jakar just going... They're getting there. And then the one line comes up, we have never been friends. We will never be friends. And I was just like, oh, Ah! you guys, you don't even know. Mm -hmm. They will be friends. There will be a more genuine apology than Londo was able to muster this time around. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, yeah, the, the, the strangulation that Londo has seen in his future will be a mercy killing. It's... It's yep. all good, except for the fact that it's a killing. Right. Yeah. Well, there's that. But we don't we don't need to think about that right now. Happy thoughts. Mm-hmm. Happy thoughts. Uh, a believable arc, considering that, or as believable as you can make it, considering mm-hmm. that Londo was responsible for the annihilation of hundreds of thousands of Narns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, not not so such happy thoughts there, I suppose. No, um, but yeah, again, it's uh, it's so it's so fascinating to watch these two characters sort of the directions in which they move and they continue to move. Um, for a good chunk of season five, they are a double act. <laughs> he yes. gets the Jakar gets sent to be Londo's bodyguard just to see the faces of the other Centauri on Centauri Prime before everything <laughs> goes to hell. Yeah. Londo Londo says, if you throw Jakar in jail, you'll have to throw me in jail too. They'll never dare to do that. And then there <laughs> they both are in a jail cell. It's 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 gold. <laughs> and think of it and and to think about where these characters have come from, you know, when Londo's watching Adira dance and Londo and Jakar share a drink to women, basically, mm-hmm. you know, and then it, it just, I am losing my articulation here, but it's its such a good <laughs> arc for these two characters. And this is a really, really important episode for both of them in terms of where they're going to go. Mm-hmm. As we've Agreed. said multiple times before, these are the two characters that really sort of travel the farthest, travel the the longest road as far as their characters go. I mean, there's certainly character development on, on pretty much all of the other characters as well. But I mean, Sheridan at the end is still very similar to Sheridan at the beginning in terms of his personality, pretty much. Whereas we've had quite a shift with Jakar and quite a shift with Londo when it comes to that. I mean, they're still the same characters, but all of the things that they go through have really made a difference. And I feel like this is a really important episode to kind of show the continuation of of that. And even at this point, they are miles away from where they started. And they still have farther to go, which really excites me mm-hmm. as, a, as a character-driven viewer. Think about their final goodbye before Londo gets the keeper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, yeah, the whole arc, the whole arc, it's amazing. It's amazing. It really is. 
Um, another thing that I noticed thinking forward was a very little line that just you might have missed it if you weren't paying close attention. I suspect Stephen probably did, uh, where Sheridan comes in and, and says to Dr. Franklin that he's going to need the shadow infected telepaths to be mobile, not for this mission, but soon. And then yep. just boom, it's gone. Nothing else. Yep. That's just the very tiny little nudge of, hey, remember this? I haven't forgotten this plot line and it's coming. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get a bit of that next week. And then, of course, the big reveal for the final battle. Yes. Oh, that's. And that is another. He's talking about character development. The. Uh, the choice to to use human beings as weapons is is really something that is interesting to see Sheridan do and Dr. Franklin sort of resign himself to basically it's a that's a nice little thing we have to look forward to and of course Garibaldi he is so coming back to Babylon 5 he'll be back <laughs> yeah but I still like I still like that as the sort of the episode closer. I mean, that was just it was sort of like a mic drop and then, you know, turn yeah. around and walk away. So I don't know that he would have come back if uh, the series had gone only four. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he he's we last see him in 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 the fourth season in bed with Lise on Mars. That's true. And so, I mean, that would have that would have had a bit of power if it had just been uh, four years. Mm-hmm. It always felt a little bit like JMS was trying was sort of grasping for what to do with Garibaldi in season five, how plausibly to get him on the station. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't mm-hmm. sure that I wasn't sure that director of intelligence really really <laughs> flowed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then by the time we get to uh, Sleeping in Light, he's back to the status that he had at the end of this season, which is head of Edgar's right. Industries. So uh, on the other hand, um, there's a good dramatic arc for Garibaldi uh, when he falls back into the bottle um, as a result of Bester, et cetera, and so on. So you know, I'll take it, but the seams are showing a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's it's not the first time nor the last time, probably, that we are going to, I'm not going to say complain, but just point out the fact that the not knowing that there was going to be anything after this, it made a, just such a huge difference in the way that this season played out. So this is yet another example of, of a place where it's maybe rougher around the edges than it would have been. But who knows? Who knows? Maybe maybe it would have would have been worse in some other way if if they would have known that they were going to have a fifth season. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no way to know. Yeah, I think we're going to have a lot to say um, about how season five was constructed and all of the all of the roadblocks that came in between JMS and finishing this season, even with the will they or won't they renewal question. Mm-hmm. It was, it was a harrowing few months in between, in which several things, not the least of which the departure of Claudia Christian, happened mm-hmm. to really interpose themselves between um, what they wanted to do and what they wound up with. Um, that's not an excuse for what's on the screen, but I can't wait to sort of dig into that when we get into the requisite spoiler space. Here, here. Mm-hmm. 
Well, anything else that stood out to you guys um, as far as spoiler space material? I think this is a pretty important episode for Corwin, who doesn't have a lot to do in the Mm. episode, but he's just standing there so authoritative. You know, he's Mm -hmm. just a lieutenant, and yet he's pretty much the only character that is a viable second in command or second or third in command or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. He's Ivanova's attache. If Ivanova had stayed with the show in the fifth season, then he plausibly could have been her side person, her Mm -hmm. commander or her Mm -hmm. lieutenant commander or whatever. As it is, he has a strange relationship with Captain Lockley in the next season, but he still is elevated enough. And this mm-hmm. little bit of a scene, the, the the few scenes that he has in this episode really help establish him. He's yeah. not just the meek. Yeah. He's not, not just the meek guy um, uh, making awkward moves on uh, Ivanova <laughs> that he was a while back. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I I was very glad to see that Stephen was happy to a that Stephen recognized him, b that Stephen was happy to see him, and c that he actually remembered his name. Um, <laughs> although he did he did say that that he probably only remembered Corwin's name because he had asked me uh, about it a week or two ago. But I'm like, still a week or two ago is is not a bad yeah. amount of time to remember a, a random name from a dude who doesn't pop up that much on a TV show that we watch once every other week. So. Yeah. So that was good. So I, I'm glad that, you know, it. I find it hard to sort of walk the line between showing my true emotions about the things that I'm seeing on the screen and sort of holding back because there's not a good reason for me to feel that way. So, for example, when he was first sort of on screen, I couldn't say anything about him you know back in the day because we he literally was just a dude who was kind of sitting there and occasionally had one line um, and who needed so, a haircut. Yes. <laughs> well, that's that is maybe a matter of opinion. Um, <laughs> I do I do like it better with a short hair, but I kind of like the floppy hair too. It was cute. But now I think he's been around enough that, especially once he is is a little bit more at the fore, I can I can be be more outwardly squeeful about Joshua <laughs> Cox's performance. Any last things before we uh, jaunt off into the wild? black yonder nothing's immediately coming to mind this one's so so, so centered on uh the, the current situation the current mini arc of mm-hmm. of course you know the actions here impact the next few episodes as uh they continue to move towards retaking earth and then sheridan gets captured and and that sort of thing so um you know uh, except for the you know bits here and there that uh speak to later on yeah, there's not as much foreshadowing in this one. Yeah, we will see Mackie again briefly in the next episode, and that is going right. to be kind of an important point in that it's not just Sheridan trying to convince Earth Force uh, ships to secede and join the join the thing that uh, you know his allies get into it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also kind of excited, you know, there's not a there's not a hint about this in this episode, but we're very very close to seeing the Agamemnon again. And the last time Sheridan saw the Agamemnon, it was shooting at him. Mhm. Yep. And uh and that that'll be interesting as well because necessarily because of the stuff that happens in the plot, 
we're going to have a uh, competent guest actor showing up who, who was sort of captaining the Agamemnon then going to be uh, Sheridan's sort of second in command on the Agamemnon that sort of sidelines Ivanova but mm-hmm. for a big chunk of the remainder of the season Sheridan's not going to be on Babylon 5 he's going to be commanding his old ship and that'll be different mm-hmm yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how Steven reacts to that, because every time there is something that is not B5-centered, he is always very mm-hmm. interested, simply for the, the fact that it's, the, the, that it's different and it doesn't happen very often. So I'm interested to see what his, what his thoughts are there, if he, if he enjoys it the way that he usually does, or if he feels like, you know, taking our sort of, you know, big damn hero character away from the main action and putting him elsewhere for an extended period of time is just too much for him. Yeah. So uh, we'll see. It is a subtle sort of Star Trekification of Babylon 5 that we're going through right now. We're, we're going to personal logs at mm-hmm. the beginning of the episode so a little bit more often <laughs> yes uh yep and, has and noticed of course that. sheridan captaining a ship rather than um operating babylon 5 you know it'll it, you know it's it's becoming i, I don't want to say more generic but it is becoming a little more familiar like it's like you can't escape some of these tropes yeah and you shift into mm-hmm. action and, and giant conflict um, with a with a space backdrop, certain things happen. Exactly, and they just when do. The, and at the beginning of this show, the universe was coming to Babylon Five, and Babylon Five was sort of the cauldron in which all of these uh, conflicts sort of played out. Now it's inevitably going back out, and the show is. Babylon 5, the space station, is going to continue to have a diminished role in the story um, because you're, we're going to be hanging out in Drazi space. We're going to be hanging out on uh, Centauri Prime, you know, things like that. Uh, you're going to have a telepath colony on B5, and then that story is going to be over. You know, as, the, as season 5 continues to move along, you can see that People are packing their bags, and they're getting ready to leave, and Babylon 5's heyday is almost behind it. This episode is sort of part of that, because the the fleet is on the march toward Earth, and there are only going to be a few setbacks. It's just going to keep on going. Yep, it's exciting exciting times to come ahead. I, I agree with the... Yeah, generification is not the right word. But I think even though it's moving into more familiar territory, like you said, the fact that it's not familiar territory in terms of Babylon 5 makes it kind of exciting. So I feel like it's it's sort of like it balances out. Maybe it's it's a wash because they're, yes, they may be doing things that in the overall world of science fiction are somewhat more expected. That hasn't been what science fiction, what Babylon 5 has done before. So it's for Babylon 5, it is unexpected. So it's like a double fake out, <laughs> something like that. All right. Well, I think on that uh, forward-looking note, it's a good time to thank our dear listeners once again for joining us. We are always thrilled to have all of you along. Do please come back next time to hear Shannon exercise her vital powers. Uh-huh. And until then, this is Erica in Edmonton. Shannon in Durham. And Chip in Durham. And you've been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5.